Welcome to Soil Health Lab's Plug and Plant Podcast, engaging farmers, ranchers, and researchers in the pursuit of healthy, functioning soils. Welcome back to the Plug and Plant Podcast. I am Barrett Self. And I'm Buzz Clute. That was a very enthusiastic welcome. Thank you, Buzz. I appreciate that. I've been working on it a lot of time in front of the mirror. <laughs> today, today, we're diving into our third podcast featuring our Growing Resilience series in South Dakota. Buzz, what do we got up? Well, this is a continuation um, of the of the discussion. Really, it was you know it was about an hour and a half to two hour discussion in Mitchell, South Dakota, and and um, with four farmers and several NRCS employees. And in this one, really, uh, you'll hear Kent Vlieger open up the discussion. Kent is the state um, soil health coordinator. And you'll also hear Bryce Rabenhorst, who's a transitioning farmer, starting to pick the brains of the older guy. So that was a really good discussion. But really started out uh, looking at weeds and sort of uh, natural treatments and herbicides that they're using. And then the discussion really followed on in a, a more in-depth discussion of cover crops, cover crop species selection, timing, timing of termination. And then also looking at confusion, sometimes people are not really educated about it. And a really great example was, uh, you know, for instance, the use of rye, uh, uh, rye grass versus cereal rye. And, uh, you know, how sometimes those two have been confused and, and, you know, how that may lead to problems, especially during termination. So, um, again, a really, really good um, discussion that these guys had. And Kent asks the first question. I would say of the first three episodes in this series that we've put out, this is probably the most in-depth that covers the most topics. Once again, we'll have everyone around the table introduce themselves, and then we'll be handing it over to Kent Flieger. My name is Charlie Edinger, and I live in Mitchell, but mainly farm west of Mitchell. My name is Daniel Harsh, originally from Clayton, South Dakota, currently live in Freeman. Hi, I'm Craig Staley. Um, I farm with my brother, Gene. Bryce Rabenhorst from Salem, South Dakota. My name is Eric Barsness, agronomist with NRCS. I work out of the Brookings office. Brent Woods, district conservationist in Hutchinson County. And here's Kent Flieger. Okay, so we were talking... Um, Kind of went down our trail there of, of weeds and, you know, we had weed control and some, you know, what some producers maybe had made a management decision to let some of the weeds grow in their fields. You know, we we're, were also talking fallow syndrome. Um, you know, so what are what are some management options that you that you might be considering for, let's just take a field that wasn't planted, but it had, it had some weed control issues out there. What what is something that you as a producer or if you're talking with a neighbor, what's what's something you would look at doing? Any thoughts? I, I definitely going to use a probably a full rate of pre-emerge herbicide and maybe think about splitting it and using multiple modes of action to try because there, you know, even if you got the field sprayed, there's so many wet areas that you miss some areas and then whole fields that you know it, certain species were hard to kill because they got too big. So it's going to be a challenge. It's going to take you know it probably set us back uh, three four years to get them back to where they were in some fields. Some are 
not so bad, but you know, it's a it's a, something that people struggle with through the whole area. It's just every producer had issues with it. The one thing we do find though under no-till is a lot of times even when we have weed escapes, we're not incorporating the weed seed into the soil. So generally we'll get that flush of weeds of ones that'll germinate shallow, but we don't have, we haven't had near the issue with more of the velvet leaf, the cockerbur sunflower. So even though I know we're gonna have issues, I think it's going to be more the early season, like you say, we, the burn down, the pre-emergence is going to be the, the big, big thing. So it might be so, easier to get ahead of the issue. Yeah. That's kind of so if you want to use a coulter cart to get in there and dry things out, you're just going to be planting a lot more yep. weed seeds. Vertical till is great at planting weed seeds. Yeah. Yep. So is that something for, so we've had some, some fields that I'd rather not talk about, but uh, would would you suggest a no-till into that or how would you you know you talked about not wanting to incorporate them what yeah, what, what, what would what be your yeah besides waiting yeah yeah it's tough when things are close and all the other farmers around you that are doing tillage are going it's frustrating but i don't know i don't have any good answers because yeah especially when you have the no-till being a flat surface it's not a rough surface that can wick moisture away as fast. And so that's that's the gist of the colder card, is to roughen the surface up, increase surface area, and evaporate water better. Um, yeah, I don't have an answer for you. I wish I did. If you don't have a cover crop planted there, um, other than waiting it out and praying for no rain, it's... You know, the options are pretty limited, in my opinion. I don't know if anybody else has any options. Especially in those transition years, that first one to four or five years of getting into the no-till, that is probably where we struggled the most. We were, we were probably three days behind others planting. As we've gotten into it 10, 15 years down the road, oftentimes we're planting at the same time or before the neighbors are out disking. Um, so, yeah, all I can say is be patient. Um, and I will say, if you've been in the no-till, a long time the soil is a lot more resilient so it's a lot more forgiving so we have noticed that the past several years that we mudded stuff in I mean we did have continuing moisture but we got by it, it, it still works because the soil handles it better so if we're talking about weed control if we do end up with some prevent plant in 2020 you can do anything different as far as uh, weed control on prevent plant that you didn't do in 19 or as far as be more aggressive to control weeds or any thoughts just there? hope we have a different weather pattern because there was no, there was just no there was no option last year you couldn't really you know yeah you either track your field up with the sprayer and i mean if you wait too long the weeds get so big i mean your other option is aerial apply but there's a lot of no no pilots are going to want to apply a lot of the chemistries that needs to be used that was one of the things I ran into over by Brookings last year. Some of the co-ops just, you know, it was a conventional till or no-till. It doesn't matter. They just couldn't get across the fields to get things sprayed. So things got out of control and, and weeds got too big. That's what we ran into was didn't have the window, couldn't get in there. Just everything you'd think, okay, we're a day or two away and you'd get two inches and you just right back into that cycle and we couldn't break it. I mean, it just... We put duels on the tractor that we spray with and went out one day and, well, we finally got the tanks empty on it, but uh, it stuck about five times just getting it empty. It's like, and we thought it looked pretty good, it's, but the soil was just saturated. There was, it was pudding. 
it's gonna just take time you know take it'll just take two three years you just try to keep you know like a Charlie said that you're not incorporating the weeds and so that that'll help hopefully you don't have as big a problem but the small seeded broadleaves they'll still be an issue because they can grow right on the top so just a combination of residual herbicides hopefully we can keep it under control till we get it you know over time you'll get it cleaned back up with rotation and but then you still got to be careful that you use residuals to keep the weeds down but if you don't get anything planted then you got to worry about the cover crops you intend to plant you mentioned with rotations can help reduce weeds is that have you noticed that when you include what well, the small your... grain definitely because it just you know you can get like you know the water hemp is not an issue in small grain because it comes on late and just you know shades it out or you can spray it easy it's you know so it helps with some of those weeds that you have normally battle in the row crops you see that weed control carry into the row crops just from having right. that small grain in there yeah we got to be a little cautious on what chemistry you use on the wheat to allow our cover crops but yeah sure. there's Uh, you know some of the prevent plant acres. <clears throat> you know traditionally we're in we're in the pothole region of the world, so you know it's not uncommon to have you know a field with five acres here, five acres there. But you know last year we had whole fields that were prevent plant. Um, you know and that kind of gets to be a vicious cycle. We know we got to use some water. We know we have to get something growing out there. What do you see? Do you see neighbors talking about? You know I really. You know, this year I'm going to try and get something planted in my prevent plant acres. You know, we can use some moisture. We can get maybe get ahead of the weeds. Um, do you hear talk about, is there interest in, in cover crops for these prevent plant acres? Um, I know you guys are using them, but is there, do you think there's more interest out there? I feel over the past three or four years, I mean, soil health and cover crops has been the hottest topic. So I, I'm, I'm encouraged by that fact and, and think the future is just going to get better and better. Yeah, this wet year will probably just add to that cover people using cover crops because they saw what it did. And I mean, just when you tried to find the seed last summer, it was just like hard to find. So there was a lot of producers. I, I think if if we'd had a little better fall, you know, a little we would have saw a lot lot of cover crops go in. People just couldn't get them in, or they they tried to. Normally, you can always figure that August you can, it's going to be dry enough you could plant some August September, and this year was just challenging that way. Yeah, I was working with the producers, and that was the plan, you know, get some seed purchased early, and then late July get that cover crop seeded, and that window just never came. So if they end up with prevent plant in 2020, that's one thing they're going to change. As soon as they get some weed control done, they're going to try to get the cover crop planted regardless of, of when that is. If it's earlier, so be it. Last year just didn't give us a window. I mean, that we had seven inches of rain the end of uh, July, 1st of August. That really set us back. where We hardly planted anything in August, which... Is when we thought we were going to get most of it planted. Um, we got some in July, but it was it was marginal what we'd done. I mean, hopefully this year, if we get in a PP situation, we'll have a window to do it sooner. And if you have to terminate that cover crop, you know, so that doesn't go to seed, that's easier to terminate than than some of the the tougher weeds, is what some of the producers have been telling me. So, I say personally, I won't terminate in fall. Um, we've had buckwheat, flax, other things go to seed in fall. It it doesn't worry me. Um, it can it can grow in spring, and we'll take it out with our pre-emergence. Um, that extra growth in spring is actually kind of a benefit. Okay. Um, so that doesn't really worry me. 
It, yeah, like I mentioned prior that, you know, a lot of times if you surface apply some of the cover crops and everything may germinate and grow, you may see something years down the road. As long as you're aware of what you got there for the next year or two as being a potential issue, know how to handle it. And just a few plants here and there across the fields, not, not a yield no. effector, not a big deal. Yeah, I I used to worry about it too, but I've let quite a few different, especially if they're annual crops. Like the I put when I put oats in the mix, I mean they, I don't know if the seed's viable, but if you put them in early enough, they'll usually put seed on in my behind my small grain, and it's not. I think the only thing you really have to worry about is like the annual ryegrass or the cereal rye. If you're going to go to wheat, then you might want to watch those. But most of the other things, I, I don't really worry about them going to seed. That was a big topic last year, buckwheat specifically, because it does flower so quick. And but I, I pretty much everybody, the producers that have used it, said it's not an issue. <clears throat> I just asked the question about you know cover crop and interest, and I think we all agree there's a lot of interest in maybe people trying it for the first time. Um, you know, when you're looking at uh, what to plant for cover crops, could you guys talk about some of the considerations that you need to make with with selecting your mix? Um, you know, you know, what's what are you gonna follow that with? Why are you planting what you're planting? You know, if if you're if you're looking at grazing it, if you have livestock, you know, you want to go one way. If you're not gonna graze, you got to go another way. Um, could you guys just talk on some of the some of the management decisions you have to make when you're selecting your cover crops? Well, it depends too on 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 what time you're gonna plant them. Like even last year with the prevent plant, you know, I knew like if I could plant them early, I wasn't gonna put like any kind of uh, small grain or cereal rye in because I didn't want them going to going to seed. So I started off, and it depends what you're going to plant. And, and if you're planting soybeans into it, you can go ahead and plant something that's got a high carbon nitrogen ratio like sedan and have some millet and stuff in there in the mix uh, early. Whereas if you're going to go corn or wheat, probably more broadleaf something to build nitrogen and then later I mean like what I did when it got when it started getting later like August and I started putting like oats and barley in there because I and then when it got real late I went to the cereal rye and winter wheat yeah you just gotta you gotta have an idea of what you want to accomplish I mean you can't it's the more species the better but in general what we've done is 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 basically like we like the smaller seeded stuff because it's less expensive. Um, so, but if you want to shoot for compaction or nitrogen adding species, or you know, it, there's a whole range of, of traits that these cover crops have, and you just need to have a plan of attack of what you want um, happen on your on your fields. I know with my job, I work with so many different producers over such a wide variety of counties. Um, I did see some, I was looking at mixes with producers and we'd uh, identify some, some things out there where they, they maybe wanted one species and ended up with a different one. Maybe they weren't exactly sure what species they wanted and the ones that come to mind right away is the, the con confusion or the mixing up of annual ryegrass and cereal rye. So I just encourage producers to do their homework, do their research and make sure they know what species they want and then follow that through and make sure that's the one in their mix. 
Um, there's so many different clover options out there. There's lots of different clovers. Uh, the millets last year was another one that was, there's a lot of different millets that they can choose to just make sure they do their homework and, and have the, the correct one that they intend in their mix. And if they need to terminate at a certain time, how to terminate them properly. That's definitely important, right? Because annual ryegrass versus cereal rye, you're going to have a, a different recipe there, a different plan for termination. Because most of the time the annual ryegrass will winter kill, but if it doesn't, then what's the plan? And with that, we usually look at whether we're going to graze it or not. Um, where we're grazing it, yeah, we'll get more oats in if we're going after small grain. A lot of times we'll put in an oats, radish, field pea mix. Um, but other cost is the thing too, we try to keep it under $20 an acre. Some of these mixes can be 30, 40 bucks an acre. and I can't pencil the return on it um, unless you figure something long term and I have a hard time being able to put a dollar figure on that increase of organic matter or possible nitrogen production. The, the variabilities are extremely high from what we've soil tested on a OHP mix afterwards. So we look at it of if we're going to graze it or not, how much residue we want left there for the next year, what crop we're going to plant. Um, and sometimes it's what's in the bin or what's cheap. Um, we make a mix up according to cost. It's, yeah, there's, there's different ways of how, how you want to utilize it. And like the oats field piece, some of that after small grains, we've seen so often where we've hauled them newer, the growth can be 2x or more. So we've gone to putting some of our P and K and a little bit of nitrogen on, on the cover crop for the next year's corn to increase that growth of the cover crop. Um, gives us an extra return on the grazing. So you mentioned field peas. That's one species that I've seen um, maybe some issues or uh, concerns with as far as planting depth. Um, guys have split fields with like two planters and one is a little more shallow than the other one and we definitely get a lot more growth with the deeper planting. Do you have uh, experience with what your target depth would be? Yeah, so with an oats field pea radish mix, we use the radish as the brassicas because radish can germinate from deeper than our canolas or, or turnips. Um, so we're usually planting that mix a minimum of an inch up to an inch and a quarter deep even with the radish in there just to ensure our field peas and oats have a good establishment. Yeah, shallow planted field peas, in my experience, just don't don't do very well. Have you guys used any of that? Not not field, not field peas. peas. Yeah. I mean, that is an issue with cover crops. So, so many of them, of the smaller seed, like you said, the, the the rape seed, and they don't like to be planted very deep. But what I mean, the one thing that you have to do, but like if you're planting behind wheat stubble, they have that layer that all that layer of residue. Now you have to get that seed. You're better off. Um, planting it, you know, you, sometimes you have to set a little deeper you like, but then just like take off the packing of the closing wheels so you don't push that seed down in there. So it's, you're still putting it in fairly deep, but leaving that loose soil instead of packing it on top, that helps sometimes with emergence on, in that particular instance behind small grain. When, on the same line of that, after small grain, we have an older 750 no-till drill. The firming wheels were quite wide and they don't get down in the furrow well. So we've put a narrower firming wheel on that can actually get down into the furrow and firm that little seed down in there. Uh, we've seen a lot better emergence on that. Otherwise the wheel kind of sat there and never got to the seed. So yeah, getting that seed actually in the dirt is, is probably helps the establishment. One thing we really haven't talked about or mentioned is, is what we've kind of learned over the years. Um, 
as far as putting our cover crops following wheat, it's kind of interesting because you can get, take a drone up there and wherever there's excess nitrogen, you can see it right there on, on you know, cover crops are lush. And you know, do you guys ever fertilize um, for your cover crops? Put a small amount of nitrogen or sulfur out there because we've done that in the past, you know, throw out like maybe a hundred pounds of AMS just because the following year those brassicas can tie up, suck up that sulfur. sulfur. Um, could be an issue. The guys I work with are really the only ones that really fertilize their cover crops if they're planting the graze and they really want biomass. Otherwise, they're okay with it scavenging some nutrients. But I think I think that's a good point. What your objectives are and, and fertilize accordingly. Because even on our wheat, I've, we've been a little bit conservative fertilizer in wheat, but since we've been you're running cover crops, it's like why not give the wheat a little more? Because whatever it doesn't use, the cover crop will cycle it. Yeah, it should, be, it should be available the next year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'd agree with Eric. Most of uh, most of the producers I've worked with that do fertilize are doing it mostly because they're going to graze, and so they know they're going to get that return because every inch they got a couple hundred more pounds per acre of, of forage out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but e- even then, you know, you can make the make the case that a lot of that is going to be available the next year. It's just that cow is cycling it through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. But sulfur is a good point. If you're following, you know, corn after the cover crops, especially brassicas, some sulfur. Do you have a number like 30, 20, 30 pounds of sulfur or something? Or does it just, do you well, soil test for, to for, that? Yeah, I would soil test, but there was a couple, about three years in a row where we just threw out the AMS at about 100 pounds. So we're 26 pounds yeah. of, of sulfur. Um, and then also with our, our applicator, um, Coulter applicator, you know, we also, also throw down thiosol in the spring just in case. For the cover crop itself to maximize the growth, probably not much over 10 or 12 pounds of sulfur. Um, an additional 25 or 30 pounds of nitrogen uh, will go a long ways. And a lot of times half of that nitrogen is coming from our map that we're putting on for the next corn crop. On the, So the dollar wise, it ends up not being a whole lot. We might only be putting 15 extra nitrogen in the sulfur because we've got some with that map. Uh, and we don't adjust the nitrogen then on the corn. Um, we include that there because we figure that will be cycled back. Um, and it's the benefits, just that extra growth. Yeah, I think most of the time after the brassicas, the sulfur is definitely important for the following crop. And, you know, 15 or so, it depends. Usually it's like one pound of sulfur to 10 pounds of nitrogen So in the spring. so. I probably want to keep that ratio at least, maybe even more sulfur than that because of that issue. And that wraps up this episode. It has been the third in our Growing Resilience series. Stay tuned for the next one as we'll go one deeper into these interviews. Everyone around the table will be discussing salinity, what are its causes, and what are the solutions. And a new transitioning no-till farmer asks how can he incorporate small grains into his rotation. Thanks for spending some time with us, and stay tuned.